It's been a while. <laughs> uh, are you guys happy today? I'm happy today. That's the kind of worship that'll make you happy. It's kind of like in the Bible when King Saul wasn't able to sleep. It said he was being tormented by spirits. So he would have David come in and play the harp for him. And it doesn't necessarily say that it made him happy, but it says that everything tormenting him would flee and he got a good night of sleep. And I bet that made him happy. Yeah. And it makes me happy when Sam plays the drums. That's what makes me happy. Our whole worship team, you know, they're amazing. But yeah, I think God wants us to be happy today. So we're just going to keep on faking it till we make it, even if we're not, all right? You guys say with me, I'm happy. Say it again, I'm happy. I'm happy that Esteban and Allie are here. Yeah. With maybe the cutest baby I've ever seen. You guys got to check him out before you leave. He's a good-looking baby. I'm happy that... Dylan and Nevin, my friends, Dylan and Nevin Hancock are here today with their family. That's amazing. So awesome. It's been a while since you've been able to get out of the house, right, Dylan? How long has it been? Yeah, it's been a while. A couple of years. He hasn't been able, they were telling me beforehand that they were blessed with a, a handicap accessible vehicle and he was able to get out for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah. And he chose to come here tonight to encounter God. How awesome is that, man? Praise God. God bless you. He's like, I'm never leaving the house again if you keep embarrassing me in front of people. <laughs> I just love you, man. I'm happy you guys are here. All right. We should probably get going. And I'm going to start us off in prayer, okay? All right. Heavenly Father, God, we just totally submit this night to you, God. We give you full authority and permission to do whatever it is that you want to do. God, I submit myself, I submit my mind and my heart to you and my words, Lord. And I pray that this message would just be a powerful time of revelation, God, and truth. And that it just would not be the most boring sermon that these people have ever heard. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. That really is my prayer every time I preach. <laughs> I'm like, God, please let this not be boring for these people. We got all these amazing preachers at this church, you know, and I'm like the prop guy and stuff. And I just hope it never gets boring, you know. <laughs> all right. Well, I've always been a very logically minded person. I really like breaking things down and, you know, figuring things out and seeing how they work and stuff like that. One of my favorite things is when someone can break something down for me in a way that makes perfect sense. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when someone tells me something, but they can't explain to me why it is that way. Yeah, have you guys ever done that? Have you ever just asked someone why, and then they give you the answer, I don't know, that's just how it is. <laughs> Nothing drives me crazier than that. I need to know how it works. I need to know why it's that way. I'm the kind of guy where if you give me a task to do and you just leave me to it, I'm most likely going to get confused and second-guess myself, and I'm probably going to screw it up. <laughs> but if you actually take the time to walk me through it and show me and explain to me how it works and why it works that way, then I'm going to be set up for success, and I'm going to get the hang of it a lot quicker. Are you guys like that? Anyone else like that, or is it just me? 
I think a lot of people learn that way. I'm a trainer at my job, and I've found that when I take the time to actually show them how to do things and explain to them why we do things the way we do them, they're going to catch on to it a lot quicker than if, if I just have them watch me do it a few minutes and then send them off to do it on their own. It's kind of like tithing. Like before I had ever tithed, if you would have just pulled me aside and said, look, just go to church and give them 10% of your money, and you just left it at that, I'd probably be pretty sketched out, and I would probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> But if you take the time to explain to me how tithing works and you give me examples and then you explain what the Bible says and you say, no, you know, actually in Luke, it says that the measure in which you give is the measure in which you're going to receive. And that actually makes sense logically, too, because if you're tithing 10% of your income into the kingdom of God, then, of course, it actually makes perfect logical sense that God wants you to be healthy financially because the healthier you are financially, the healthier that 10% tithe is going to be flowing into the kingdom makes sense, right? I think the Bible and God and his word make a lot more logical sense than we give him credit for sometimes. And I think the gospel is the same way. So many people know the gospel, but if we're just going to ask them to accept the gospel at face value and just fully understand it right off the bat and not ask any questions, then we're dreaming and we're setting them up for failure. So that's what I want to talk about today a little bit. I want to talk about how us as Christians can present the gospel in a logical, practical way that makes sense to the world. So I want to start. You guys don't have to turn here. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. I'm going to start by uh, looking at John 3.16 with you guys, if we could get that up. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this verse perfectly sums up the gospel. And so did Mike in his transition. He summed it up perfectly, right? And I'd say most people, at least in our country, have heard this in some way, shape, or form. Would you guys agree with me? Whether you're a Christian, Muslim, a non-believer, an atheist, agnostic, Jewish, whatever, most people have heard about a man named Jesus who was the Son of God, who came to earth and lived a perfect life that none of us could live, making him the perfect sacrifice for our sins, dying on the cross, raising again three days later, and ascending to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, saving all of mankind so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but they'll get to have eternal life. Most people have heard that in some way in our country. Would you agree? Okay. That concept... So next I want to look at Romans 10, 9 with you guys. And I got that one for you too. And it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so we've already agreed that most people have heard the gospel, but yet not everyone is a Christian. And why is that? Well, if we're looking at this verse here in Romans where it says, believe in your heart, that word believe is a very, very important word. We're doing a great job of getting the gospel out to people, which is awesome because that's our job, and we're really good at it. But I have friends that I've told the gospel to that don't necessarily believe it. 
What about you guys? Do you have any friends or family you've told the gospel to them, but they don't believe it? Yeah. Hearing the gospel is one thing, but when you actually believe it in your heart is when you actually start to experience what life is like with Jesus as your Savior. And we live in an age where everyone has so much information right at their fingertips. We can find out any answer that we want at any given time. We can look up studies. We can look up historical records, documents, data. We can pretty much find any answer we need. We have access to so much information that we've changed the meaning of the phrase, I don't know. Because when I was growing up and someone said, I don't know, it just literally meant that they did not have the answer for you. But nowadays when someone says, I don't know, what they're really saying is, I don't feel like looking that up right now. Because if they wanted to, they could get the answer. (laughs) You can pretty much answer any question you want. Um, living in a house with three kids, you know, kids ask a lot of questions. So all day I'm constantly being bombarded with questions. And I do my best to find the answers for them if I don't know them. But they can always tell when I'm not in the mood for their questions because I give them the I don't know answer. Because <laughs> they know if dad wanted to know, I could figure it out with my phone because that's just the age that we live in. <laughs> And one side effect of having such easy access to so much information is that nowadays people only want to believe what can be proven to them. And I'm not even saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just the time that we're living in. It doesn't make any sense to fight it. And Jesus, when he, um, in Matthew 28, in the the Great Commission there, um, he doesn't just instruct us to tell people the gospel. He instructs us to make them believers. He instructs us to baptize them and train them up and make them into disciples and teach them to obey his commands. Telling them the gospel is one thing, but we need to actually make them believe it. So if we're living in a time where people need proof in order to believe, then we better start giving them proof, right? So how can we do that? Right? We can't physically grab a hold of God. Jesus went up to heaven 2,000 years ago. How can we prove to them that the gospel is real? Right, That Jesus really is the Savior, that he really will work in your life? Well, in science, when you set out to prove something, you run an experiment. And you use what's called the scientific method. Could you guys put that picture up? All right, so this, it's kind of hard to see, but this is the scientific method right here. And anytime a scientist or a scholar in the world wants to prove something that they believe, this is the method that they use. So first they make some observations, and then they figure out what question or problem it is that they're trying to solve. Then they do as much research as they can about it. Then they come up with a hypothesis, which is basically just an assumption. Then they run an experiment to see how that assumption they made holds up. And then based on the results of the experiment, they come to a conclusion. And then they share that, the last step there is they share all that information with the world, with everyone else. So I thought it'd be kind of fun if we kind of did an experiment today. So let me do this quick. Thank you, baby. Is my water over there too? My mouth is sticky. 
Now, I know most of you guys probably made it to the really high up science classes, but I only made it up to the class where you guys did like really complex experiments and, and stuff like that, but I just made it up to the classes where we made baking soda volcanoes. <laughs> so that's the experiment that we're gonna run today. So we're gonna do this baking soda volcano here. And there's our, our little volcano. I'm sorry I didn't put more time and effort into it. <laughs> now we know what, has anyone done this before? Have you guys made these? Have you seen them made? So we know what's gonna happen here, right? But I'd imagine the first person that ever ran this experiment had to go through that scientific process. Could you guys get it back up there just for me so I could see it? Thank you, I can't remember it. <laughs> so I guarantee you they ran, they, they put this thing through the scientific method and they observed it and then they asked the question, I wonder what we can add to this baking soda volcano to make it erupt, right? And then they did a bunch of research and based off their research, they probably had a couple different options, right? We'll try some of this, we'll try some of that. And then they started running experiments on it and introducing little things and, see, and then observing it again and seeing what happens. Sorry, thirsty. <laughs> so, like, I'm not very smart, so I would probably try, like, water. I'd be like, what happens when I add water to it? And I'd add it, and then I'd, ob I'd observe it, and I'd see what happens, and I'd say, nope, that doesn't work. I'd come to the conclusion, based off the experiment, that water isn't the right ingredient. And then I'd share that information with everyone else. And then I'd try something else. And I'd keep on trying different things until eventually I got to the vinegar. And I'd add the vinegar. Boom. I got kind of nervous it wasn't gonna work for a second. <laughs> that would have been real weird. All right, so now that I've put it through the scientific method, right, I can conclude, based off of my experiment, that when we add vinegar to the baking soda volcano, it erupts, right? Yeah. Now, whether we realize it or not, we're all running experiments just like that on ourselves and our own lives all the time. We're constantly introducing little things into our life, and then we're observing it and seeing what happens. And the, the question that all of us are trying to answer with our experiments is, if you guys would put the next one up for me, please. Me plus blank equals happiness or purpose or fulfillment, you know? And just like we just did with our volcano, we keep trying different things. And we keep putting different things in that blank and then observing and seeing what happens. You know, me plus money equals happiness, or me plus a different job will equal happiness, or me plus drugs, or me plus alcohol, or me plus buying a dog, or me plus having kids. You know, most people that have kids seem happy. I bet if I have a kid, it'll make me happy, right? Or, <laughs> yeah, the parents know how funny that one is. Or, uh, kids are a blessing. I love my children, I should say. Um, or, you know, me plus marriage will equal happiness and fulfillment. Or me plus a divorce will equal happiness, you know. We're constantly trying out all these different things. Me plus sex will equal happiness. And I know I've tried a lot of different things in my life. I've run a lot of different of these kinds of experiments. And I think most of us that have tried a lot of these things 
can come to the conclusion after we've tried these, we can come to the conclusion based off of the data that these things are not going to make you happy, right? Can you guys confirm? Maybe they'll give you a small spike of happiness in your life temporarily, but they're not going to give you sustained happiness, and they're not going to fulfill you. But what if we took the same approach with Jesus? And what if we tried Jesus in that equation and we went all in with him in our lives and we studied the results just like we do everything else? Most of us are here tonight because we've done this. And could you guys see the results in your life? Could you, Mike? I could see the results, right? Is your, is your life, Austin, is your life drastically better with Jesus in it than when he wasn't in it? Yeah, for sure. So that is proof. That right there is proof. Everybody in here is tangible proof that the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. I was at a bachelor party recently, and I like going to bachelor parties, man. A lot of my old buddies from high school are starting to get married and start their own families, and I like going to those things and just catching up with all of them and seeing what's going on in their lives. And uh, a couple months ago, I was at a bachelor party, and um, I was just, I was catching up with an old buddy of mine that I hadn't seen since high school. And it was just the usual small talk, you know. How's life? What have you been up to? How's your job going? How do you like your job? Stuff like that. And then out of nowhere, he says to me, I heard you found God. And I was like, I wasn't expecting the conversation to go that direction. I was just chilling at a Twins game. <laughs> And, I, th and I, I was kind of taken back. I was, like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I did find God. And he said, well, how did you find him? How do you know that God is, is for real? How do you know he's real? And I, I wasn't prepared at all, so I just said the first thing that came to my mind. And I don't even know why this is the thing that came to my mind. And I've thought a lot about it since then. But I just said, I treated God like a science experiment. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, I don't know what I really mean by that. <laughs> so let me think. So I thought real quick, and I said, you know, I observed my life when God was a part of it. And then I observed my life when he wasn't a part of it. And based on what I saw, I could not deny that my life is so much better when God is a part of it. And that's how I know that God is real. And then I realized when I thought about it like that, Throughout my whole life, I've been collecting data, you know? I've had a really complex relationship with Jesus. I've always gone back and forth with Jesus in my life, you know? Growing up, I did all the things that a young Christian man should do. I went to church. I went to Bible camp in the summer. I prayed before I ate. I did all those things. And then I got older, and then I did what so many of us do, and I left him, and I conformed to the world, and I wanted to see what was out in the world, you know? And... Every time I would do that, my life would get worse in some way. Like, it was like I had no stability in my life, you know? So then when it would get to the point where it was bad enough, I would come back to God again. And then he would restore that stability to my life. And when I felt like he kind of got me back up on my feet, I'd leave him again until I needed him. And then I'd come back to him again. And I did this pattern throughout my whole life where I would leave him and come back to him and leave him and come back to him. And then when I stepped back and looked at it, 
and I looked at all the data, I could conclude without a shadow of a doubt that my life was so much more stable when he was a part of it. When my relationships were thriving, when my mental and my physical and spiritual health were at their best, when I was the most stable financially, all of that coincided perfectly when Jesus was in my life, with the times when Jesus was in my life. And I had that revelation probably about seven years ago. And that's when I decided to go all in for Jesus. And I'm not perfect by any means. Going all in for Jesus doesn't mean you're perfect. So I, I want to make sure that's clear. I try my best, and sometimes I fall short for sure, just like any other human does. And I try to be really honest and transparent about that. I'm not perfect by any means. But I can say with 100% certainty that I belong to God and that I'm never going to leave his side again. I know that I know that I know that I know that God is real and that I need him in my life. And when I saw that, I couldn't deny him any longer. And that revelation is what took me from knowing about God to actually knowing God. And when people know God, that's when they're hooked for life. Because you can deny something that you've heard about, but you can't deny something that you've actually experienced. So your guys' lives are all proof about how real God is and about how real the gospel is. And my life is proof as well. But if we're really being scientists about this thing, we still need some more data. Because so far we've proved that Jesus works for people in Rice Lake. But what about outside of here? Could you guys put the uh, picture up of that gentleman I sent you? you guys, have you guys seen this guy around lately? Yeah. This is a guy that goes by the name of Oliver Anthony. And he has the biggest song in the world right now. And I actually think it's a pretty sweet song, but if you don't, that's okay. Because I don't really care about the song. What I really care about is this guy's story. This guy has an amazing story. So about two months ago, this guy was at a really rough point in his life. He was drinking every single day. He was growing his own marijuana by the pound and just smoking all day. What he did, what he describes, is he smoked himself into a mental psychosis where his mental health just got terrible. And, like, he couldn't get motivated to do anything. And he just felt like he didn't have a purpose. And he was just battling with depression. And he was just battling with all these things until finally he hit this rock-bottom point. And this was just, like, two months ago. And he was sitting in his truck. And he just had this breakdown. And he just cried out to God. And he said, God, if you will clean up my life. If you'll restore my life, God, I'll give up all this other stuff. I'll give everything up and I'll totally follow you. I'll dedicate my life to you, God. And then 30 days later, he had a song go extremely viral. And he became the biggest like viral sensation in the world. And right now he has three of like the top five songs in the nation. And he's holding true to his word, to his promise that he made to God. He's, been, he's turned down millions and millions and millions of dollars in recording contracts. And he's going, instead, he's going on the biggest shows in the world, and he's reading the Bible. And he's telling people his testimony. And he's just reading scripture to people. He's telling people how reading the Bible has changed his life. 
it was funny. I was listening to one guy interview him, and he's like, wow, so you've only been saved like 30 days, so you gave your life to God, and then you just went and read the whole Bible? And he said, no, I've only read three books so far. <laughs> he's, I think he said he's read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Luke. He's like, and it's already changed my life. It's already changed my life. He said he hasn't, he gave up the alcohol, he gave up the, the marijuana. He said he hasn't been dealing with any depression, any of that stuff whatsoever. So this gentleman's story, I would encourage you guys to check out his stuff. I think his songs are sweet. But his story is proof that giving your life to Jesus works, right? So now we have more proof. And another area where we can find a whole lot of proof is in the Bible. So I've been reading a lot about the Apostle Paul lately. And for those of you guys who don't know who the Apostle Paul is, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was a guy named Saul. And he was a Pharisee who was radically against Jesus. He was the biggest persecutor of Christians. He would throw them in prison, and he would even kill those who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. He'd have them stoned to death. And then once he exterminated most of the Christians in his area near Jerusalem, he asked his authorities for permission to travel to Damascus so that he could get rid of any Christians that were there and bring them back to Jerusalem to punish them. This guy was an absolute monster. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. And I'd like us all to just read that. If you guys would go to Acts with me. We're going to go to Acts 9. Okay, we're going to read Acts 9, 1 through 7. Okay, so it says, and I think I have them for you guys too, but it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in, in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, I already explained all that. This is where it gets good. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Okay, talk about proof, right? He even had witnesses there that could confirm the whole thing. So after Saul has this encounter, then he starts going by Paul and he flips from being a radical from being radically against Christ to being a radical follower of Christ. And he devotes his entire life to preaching the gospel. And he's really responsible for teaching the whole world about Jesus. Jesus said that Paul was his chosen instrument to proclaim his name to the Gentiles. He traveled thousands of miles, and he converted thousands to Christianity. And as I've been studying him, I realized that he would have great success evangelizing to people by not just preaching the gospel to them, 
but by actually proving the realness of the gospel to the people. In the scripture, it says that he would explain and prove. We should just read that since we're already in Acts anyway. Will you guys flip ahead to Acts 17? Where is it? Okay, so if you read 17 verse 2, it says, As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving, explaining and proving that Jesus was the Messiah. So he wouldn't just come in and tell them about it. He'd actually put the time in and spend the time with them to prove to them how real it was. Then, okay, just wait here. I lost my spot. Okay, so he would explain and prove the gospel to them. And here's how he would do it, okay? First, he would present his life to them as proof. He'd share his testimony. Everybody knew that he was the guy who locked up and killed Christians. So then to see him in front of them, a Christian, preaching the gospel, that right there was proof enough, right? Clearly, he saw some irrefutable evidence that made him realize that Jesus is the real Messiah, right? Right? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so then he would let them put the scriptures to the test. If you guys are in Acts 17, if you look ahead to verse 11, it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures. Where it says that they examined the scriptures there, in the original text in Greek, that word for examined is anakrino, which means to scrutinize and investigate. So they, didn't, so they would hear the message, and then they would put the scriptures to the test, just like we did with our volcano here. They would scrutinize and investigate the scriptures, and then... It says that they, once they did that, they found what Paul said to be true. So as a result, many of them believed. And that word believed there in the Greek means to have faith. So because they saw the proof, then they had faith. So they would hear the message, they would investigate, and they would test the scriptures. And then once they found them to be true, then they would have faith. And I think Paul knew that we have to meet people at their level, right? We all know that the lowest level of faith is faith by seeing. And he knew that they had to see the proof first before they would believe it, right? All right, so I'm going to start wrapping up. Amy, if you wouldn't mind coming to the keyboard for me, that would be great. So, I told you guys about my friend at the bachelor party that asked me how I knew God was real. But there's another story. And this was when I first got saved. I, I first rededicated my life back to God. And I remember one time someone asked me how I know for sure that God is real. And I gave them a terrible answer. I said, well, that's why it's called faith. Because I can't really prove it, but I have faith that God is real. Guys, 
please don't be like me and don't ever say that to anybody. <laughs> That's such a lazy answer to give. I was convicted so strongly right when I said it, it's almost as if God was yelling at me. Like, what do you mean you can't prove it? Look at how much I've transformed your life. What more proof do you need? A lot of people are afraid of evangelism, and I am one of them. Is anyone else afraid of evangelism? A little bit? Yeah, I am. I think a big reason why people are afraid to evangelize is because we don't want to sound crazy to people. <laughs> That's my fear anyway. But what I hope you guys can take from this message is that we can be 100% confident in sharing the good news about Jesus with people. Because Jesus isn't just some mythical, philosophical idea that we have to have the highest level of faith in in order to believe him. We have a mountain of proof and a mountain of evidence behind us proving that God is real. We have our lives. We have our testimonies. Testimonies are just a sample from your body of proof that you've collected proving God is real. And not only do we have that, but we also have the word. And we can put anything in here to the test anytime we want. And we can prove and see with our own eyes that this really is the living word of God. So if you're unsure in what you believe or you feel like your faith has just kind of weakened, then I dare you to start running your own experiments just like we did with this volcano. I dare you to start running your own experiments, experiments on the scriptures and just see what happens. Put them to the test. If you're struggling with your finances, I dare you to read Malachi 3.10. I dare you to read Malachi 3.10 and apply that in your life and then just record the results. Just see what happened before and after. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and there may be food in my house. Test me in this. He even invites us. God himself invites us to test the scriptures. He's, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, Sierra and I, we've tested this scripture in our lives, and we can prove to you guys that this is real, okay? We used to be so tight with our finances because we didn't have anything. <laughs> we held on to everything we had, and we didn't have very much, you know? And we weren't generous with our finances. We never blessed anybody, and we didn't tithe. And we always held on to everything we had, and we never had anything. And it was so confusing. We felt like we were really good and locked down with our money, but we never had any of it. It got so bad, it got to the point where we couldn't afford our rent, so we had to move out of our apartment and live with a family friend. And that's when we started tithing. And within a year of us starting to tithe, exactly what this verse says, what happened, happened. And within a year, the floodgates of heaven opened and we began to see God pour out his blessings in our life. And within a year of having to move out of our apartment, we were able to buy a house for our family. And then we just kept on going. And now here we are six years later and we just bought a business. And that has nothing, yeah, thank you. <laughs> that has nothing to do though with Sierra and I. Because if we were still doing things our way, none of that stuff would have happened. It only happened because we started including God into our, and Jesus into our finances. Or if you're struggling with any anxiety, 
then I would encourage you guys to read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it talks about how God will replace your anxiety with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And you can test the scripture. It says, if you're anxious, it says to pray, to petition with thanksgiving, give thanks for what you do have, and present all your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Or if you guys are battling with just a poor relationship in your marriage, then I would highly encourage you to see what the scriptures say about marriage, about husband and wife, and start applying them into your life. Because that's another thing, Sierra and I, we've proven to be true in our lives. Because we wouldn't be together today if we didn't start using the Bible. We were, we were in a very bad spot. I know you guys are probably sick of hearing that testimony. <laughs> or if your life is just a mess, if your life is just a flat-out mess, you know, and it seems like you don't have any stability in your life, and it seems like you're rapidly approaching rock bottom, and you don't have any vision or direction, and you don't really know what you're doing, then I'd really, really encourage you guys to go to 2 Corinthians 5.17 and to apply what the scripture says there in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If you want him to replace your garbage life and make you a new creation, try that out and just see what happens. You owe it to yourself to at least give it a shot and to try it out. If you're willing to try all these other things, I would encourage you guys to try this if you haven't. Will you guys stand with me? Do you guys remember our volcano experiment over here? Remember how everything was one way and then once we added that vinegar, it created an action, things started to happen? In that particular experiment, the vinegar is what's called a catalyst. And the definition of a catalyst is a person or thing that precipitates a change. It's something that causes activity. It's a substance that causes or accelerates a reaction. I'm telling you guys that Jesus is the catalyst that we are looking for in our lives. Jesus is the catalyst that we need in whatever situation we're battling with right now. He's the only one that can turn around any situation. He's the only one that can turn any person's life around. No life is too far gone for him to turn around. You start, start adding him in, just like we poured that vinegar into that volcano. You start just introducing him into different areas of your life, and you'll start to see the reaction. If you're not sure about God or if he's real, and if you would like to know for certain today, then after we close in prayer, I'd like to invite you guys up so that, uh, so that I can pray with you. And I believe you're going to start to see God's hand move mightily in your life in a way that you can't deny, in a way that proves how real he is. Because remember, you can deny something you've heard about, but you can't deny something that you've actually experienced. And I believe God wants all of us to actually experience him. 
or if you're just going through a hard time and you're seeking direction in something, then I'd also like to invite you up after we dismiss and pray with a member of the ministry team. And we'd like to pray for you. And we'd also like to infuse scripture into that situation that you're battling and watch it help you overcome that thing, whatever it is. All right. So I'm just going to pray. Could I get the ministry team up here too? If you belong to either of those two categories, after we dismiss here, I'd like to just invite you guys up here for prayer, okay? All right, if you guys would bow your heads. (sighs) Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we've seen the evidence and the proof of your word in our lives, Lord. God, I thank you that all of us in here get to be your proof, God. We get to be the proof of your love. We get to be the proof of your forgiveness. We get to be the proof of your mercy and your goodness, God. Thank you that we get to be that for other people, Lord. I pray that you would give us a boldness inside of us so that we would be able to preach the gospel with confidence and that we would have the time and the patience, God, to work with people so that we could prove your word to them, God, so that they could experience how real you are in their lives and then they could turn around and do it to the next person. Lord, we just love you for everything that you're doing, God. We thank you for all the testimonies. We thank you for all the testimonies that are going to come yet. And we just thank you for being so active in this church and we thank you for being so active in our lives, God, in a way where we can't deny it. We get to actually experience you every single day. So we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would just bless your people and give them a good week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.